This is a very serious podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Splanknicks. Today, Hannah and I are going to be doing our first uh, book club discussion, our Splanknicks book club. We're going to be talking about C.S. Lewis's novel, Till We Have Faces. Welcome to Splanknicks, the Society for the Preservation of Literature, the Arts, Numinosity, Culture, Humor, <laughs> Nerdiness, Inspiration, Creativity, and Storytelling. All right, and we're back. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to, as I said, do our first book club discussion. My name is Claire T. Walker. I'm an independent author, and um, I'm joined by my co-host, Hannah Kubiak. She is my daughter, also an independent author and artist of all things. You do all sorts of art. Yep. She's really impressive. So uh, a lot of times we'll do uh, a little thing that we call our input-output. We talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, what we've been listening to, and talk about what we've been writing and doing. Why don't we skip that part? Because I want to get into the discussion. Okay. How does that sound, Hannah? Yeah, okay. that sounds fine. Great, great. All right, so we're talking about uh, Till We Have Faces by uh, C.S. Lewis. Hannah, tell us a little bit about the book. Okay, well, uh, Till We Have Faces, it's a myth retold. It's uh, by C.S. Lewis. He wrote it in 1956, and it's actually the last full-length book that he wrote. This actually, I think, is probably one of my favorite uh, books by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis himself is known to have regarded this as his favorite piece of long fiction that he wrote. Mm -hmm. He was really proud of this of this book, and with good reason. It is it is truly uh, excellent. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, um, and it, it's uh, well, a lot of people don't realize this about the Chronicles of Narnia. Mm -hmm. The first thing of, of Lewis's that many people read is the Chronicles of Narnia. Mm -hmm. uh, but most people don't realize that that's one of the last things he wrote. He wrote those books between 1949 and 1953, somewhere in there, and they were published once a year for like 1950 through 1956. So they are the second to last major piece of fiction that he ever wrote. So We Have Faces is the last piece of fiction that he wrote. So what we're talking about is, is, the, is the pinnacle, mature C.S. Lewis here, this, this novel. Mm, yes. Um, I, how many times have you read it, Hannah? Me? Twice. Um, good. I also have read it twice. I read it um, back in, let me look at the notes here from my college class that I had in fantasy literature. Uh -huh. 1985 was my first reading of this book when I was a freshman or sophomore in college. Aww. And then my next reading of the book was... Um, around 2015, 2016, in preparation for, um, I was teaching a, a C.S. Lewis class um, uh, here locally, and so I read it for that. Um, it, uh, Till We Have Faces is, uh, is called, the subtitle is A Myth Retold. Mm -hmm. um, the myth that C.S. Lewis is retelling is the myth of Cupid and Psyche. All right. Um, now Cupid is the god of love. He is also known as, um, well, his, his, the word Cupid is from the Latin word cupido, which means desire. Mm. He's sometimes known as amor, which is the Latin word for love. Very, very rarely do we hear him referred to by that name. He's often uh, referred to by his Greek name, Eros, mm -hmm. E-R-O-S. 
and that is uh, the word for romantic, romantic love. Um, and Psyche, um, her name means um, soul or breath of life. And she's a rather late addition to, to the Greek pantheon um, because the, for the first written version of the Cupid and Psyche story we have is from the second century AD um, in a book called, um, it's either called, it goes by, I think, two different titles, Metamorphoses, or uh, the book is sometimes called The Golden Ass. Maybe it's more frequently referred to as the golden ass because it, people don't want to get mixed up with Ovid's Metamorphoses, mm. um, other Latin um, author. Anyway, um, so in the second uh, century AD, um, written by uh, an author called Lucius Apuleius, he was born in 123 AD and he died around 180 AD. So this book was written sometime in the mid hundreds AD, uh, mm. the story of Cupid and Psyche. So, it was, a, it was a pretty well-known myth anyway, though, because you can see Cupid and Psyche on art from like fourth century on up, fourth uh, century BC on up into the, into the ADs. So, so it's not like it was a brand new thing that, that Apuleius just made up. He's just one of the first to ever wrote it, whoever who wrote it down. So the story is about a kingdom in uh, Greece somewhere. Um, the king had three daughters, Psyche and two others. And they were all beautiful, but Psyche was so beautiful, like so amazingly beautiful that people literally thought she was a goddess. Uh, people came and traveled great distances to see her. They uh, began to pay more attention to her than the actual Greek goddess of, of love or Greek goddess of beauty, Aphrodite. And so like a lot of these Greek gods and goddesses, Aphrodite became uh, jealous, okay? These, these Greek gods and goddesses were the most neurotic, jealous beings ever. And she became jealous and she ordered her son, Cupid, to go to uh, Psyche, shoot her with one of his uh, enchanted arrows, and I guess present to her right after that some horrendous person or, or creature, you know, so that she would fall in love with, with someone or something really, really, mm. really awful. Right. Kind of a kind of a Midsummer Night's Dream situation, then. Yes, and I've heard um, uh, in some of the commentary on this myth, I've heard people discuss the fact that there are really elements of this myth all over the place in Midsummer Night's Dream, including the part where you know the, the golden ass refers to um, the, the the main character of the book, the golden ass, actually does get turned into a donkey, and of course that's what happens in Midsummer Night's Dream. One of the characters gets turned into a donkey. Anyway, so. Uh, so Eros goes, he's going to go do his mission, you know, shoot this, this uh, woman uh, with the arrow so she'll fall in love with someone horrendous. But he is also completely gobsmacked by her, her beauty. She's so beautiful and, he, and he's looking at her, you know, maybe enjoying her beauty and everything. And, and um, uh, uh, Psyche moves in her sleep, stirs in her sleep, and maybe surprises Cupid. He ends up scratching himself with one of his own arrows. And so what does he do? He takes one, he's, he's looking at, at, at Psyche at the time, falls in love with her. Okay. So, so Cupid is in love with Psyche. And um, when Aphrodite, Aphrodite realized what had happened, she's like, okay, I've got to really punish Psyche now. And she determines that Psyche will never marry. She's going to, okay, fine. She's going to be, uh, you know, uh, worshipped as a goddess, but she's never going to get married. 
And um, this really bothered Psyche's father, the king. So he visited the Oracle of Delphi, all right, looking for an answer to, uh, you know, this, this dilemma. And the prophecy he heard was this from the Oracle at Delphi. Your daughter will marry a perverse and winged being. You must take the princess, your daughter, Psyche, to the abyss dressed as for her wedding. And there she will meet her dreadful husband who shall ultimately be the cause of her death. The abyss is this mountain peak over a pre precipice. So, all right, so this is bad, but the, but the king decides, all right, well, he doesn't want to risk the ire of the gods, so he obeys. He takes Psyche in this real, rather grim wedding procession up to this, this precipice and leaves her there and ties her up. And, you know, she's supposed to then that, that evening meet her dreadful, uh, monstrous uh, husband. But what happens instead is that the god Zephyr, the god of the west wind, comes and takes uh, Psyche away to a palace in the clouds. It is a sumptuous palace. It's beautiful with these, you know, immaculate, uh, gorgeous gardens. And there are invisible servants who tend to all of Psyche's needs. And then that night, in the dark, her husband comes to her. Mm -hmm. um, she, uh, she couldn't see him, but it was obvious that he was not a horrible monster, okay? But, um, a, but a loving man. And from then on, every night after night after night, he, he came to her only at night, and he insisted that she never try to see him. So it was always too dark, and, and she could never see him. After a while, she asked to be allowed to visit uh, to her kingdom, to visit her family. Um, she had allowed it, and uh, she went there, and they, uh, the sisters were uh, doubtful, but also jealous that this was real. So the, the west wind again spirited the, 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 the two sisters and Psyche to the castle in the clouds. And they saw that it was real and they were even more jealous. And they were reminded, or they reminded her what the oracle said. Your husband is a horrible monster who is going to be the cause of your death. And so they encouraged Psyche to one night, wait until he's asleep, light a lamp, get a knife and slit his throat and make your escape. Okay, with me so far? Mm -hmm. So that night, um, Psyche, who had been perfectly happy with the arrangement that, you know, this beautiful, uh, uh, wonderful husband of hers, she was tormented by doubt, the doubt sown by her, uh, by her jealous sisters. And so that night, um, when, she, when her husband was asleep, she, uh, she, she took a lamp, grabbed a knife, and went to, uh, to do the, uh, what her sister said she suggested that she do. And um, she discovered that by the light of the lamp, this husband of hers was certainly no monster. He was in fact a, a gorgeous, beautiful, handsome young man. Mm. But while she was uh, looking at him and you know, probably relieved, right? Some hot oil from the lamp dripped out and dropped onto uh, Cupid or Eros and it burned him and he woke up and he woke to find his his wife standing over him with a knife you know and he flipped out he became angry he says oh, you will never see me again and he flew out the window mm. okay so Psyche was demoralized by this of course and she ended up having to leave the palace and she devoted herself to becoming a servant of the goddess Demeter who is the goddess of vegetation mm. and she felt sorry for her and she implored um, or she recommended that Psyche go visit Aphrodite. Remember, Aphrodite is the one who was so jealous of Psyche's beauty that she started this whole mess. Yeah. And Aphrodite uh, said, okay, I'll forgive you if you do this and this and this and this, you know, all these impossible tasks, including going to the underworld. But it turns out um, Cupid and some of the other gods helped her do all these things. 
and she was able to accomplish it. Um, but the last task involved going to the underworld and obtaining uh, a box of beauty from Persephone. And Psyche got this, she got the box of beauty and she went up to the, on the way up to the underworld. She had been warned, do not open this box of beauty when you get it. But Psyche was so exhausted from all of these tasks that she'd been going on in this trip to the underworld. And she caught a glimpse of herself reflecting in the, in the water of the, one of the boats that she was in. And she thought, whoa, I look terrible. And she thought, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna just- Classic. Just, this little box open, just, just get a little bit of it out so that I'll look refreshed. That way when I meet Cupid, he's not gonna see me all you know, disheveled and, and tired and just looking, looking not great. But she opens the box and this deadly mist comes out and, and just gets her and just, she falls basically dead, all right? Mm. Cupid saw what happened, he's like, nah! He comes and he, uh, he you know, the, the god Thanatos is over her, about to take her into the underworld for good. And Cupid's like, no, 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 and he heals her, mm. brings her back to life, brings her up to Mount Olympus, implores the god Zeus to just let them be married, you know, normally now. And Zeus says, okay, brings Psyche up to uh, Mount Olympus, gives her the nectar of the gods and the ambrosia and confers immortality on her. And Psyche and Cupid are married literally forever after. And that's the end of the story. Mm -hmm. A surprisingly happy ending for a story that involves encounters with the Greek gods. Yeah. <laughs> that is not common. Usually yeah. if you encounter the Greek gods, you are in big doo-doo. Yeah. So I did all that and I forgot to put a timer on. Huh. How long did that take me? I don't know. All right. So go ahead and now, that is the myth upon which Till We Have Faces is based. All right. So, so take it away, Hannah. Yeah, okay, yeah. I've read this book twice. Uh, the first time I read it was, this, um, I think like 2017. I remember I had just moved to Milwaukee. I remember reading it in my first apartment, the, the Hobbit Hole, as we called it. Mm -hmm. um, and I just finished reading it not too long ago for this book club. So um, the story is uh, actually from the perspective of one of Psyche's sisters, the oldest sister. Her name is Oruel. 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 O-R-U-A-L? L, like E-L-L-L. Oruel. O R U E L. Or U L. Okay. That's that's how the internet pronounced it for me. So <laughs> that's what I go with. So um the uh the story is from the perspective of Oriol, and she is the she's quite a bit older than Psyche, um, who's actually her half-sister they live pretty happily for the beginning of, uh, of, of Psyche's childhood. But as she gets older, just like in the myth, she becomes more and more beautiful. And she's so, so beautiful that the people in the surrounding town, they start to call, like, say that she's a goddess. She's put on this pedestal um, from a very young age. There's a bad harvest and it just continues bad harvest after bad harvest, almost like a famine in the land. And the priests of this goddess called Unjit have, uh, they've communed with the goddess and asked what 
needs to be done. And apparently there's a curse on the land and the curse lives in a person. And in order for the famine to be lifted, they need to, they need to sacrifice this person. And they figure out that, it, that they narrow it down to it being Psyche. And so they decide we have to take her up onto this hill and tie her to this tree so that she can be devoured by this brute that is the, that is the son of the goddess Unjit. And so they, they do this. They um, take her and leave her tied to this tree on the mountain. And that seems to be that. There's, there's rain and there's a good harvest and it seems like the curse has been lifted. So, um, and or Oruel is just uh, very obviously distressed by this. She wants to go to the mountain to get whatever remains of Psyche so that she can bury it properly. And when she gets to the mountain, sees her sister alive and well. And Psyche says that she's been living here with her husband, the East Wind basically came and took her away to this castle. And Psyche tries to show Oruel the castle, but to Oruel can't see it. It's invisible to her. And so she starts to think that her sister is crazy and that some vagabond in the woods is taking advantage of her. And so she basically tries to convince Psyche of this and says that, um, Oh, there's the, the same sort of weird arrangement that she has where he only comes to her at night and she can't see his face. Mm -hmm. And she, she trusts this um, because basically he, he didn't devour her, he saved her. And so um, Oruel sows the doubt in her mind and gives Psyche a lamp. And Psyche goes off and it's nighttime and Oruel is waiting. And then she hears like thunder and earthquakes and everything. And then he, she hears the sound of her sisters sobbing, but she can't find her. She's run off into the wilderness. So having deprived Psyche of her, her happiness that Oruel couldn't understand, um, Oruel goes back to the city. And not too long after that, the, uh, the king, Oruel's father, is on his deathbed, and there's a huge crisis that happens, like war is threatening. So in order to prevent a war, she basically challenges the prince of another, of another country to single combat, and she wins. She beats him, because she's, she's a gifted swords person. She uh, the king dies. Oruel becomes queen. She's a fighter queen. She's a, she's a brilliant ruler. And uh, her city actually becomes very prosperous during this time. And, but she starts to have these dreams about Psyche. And they're essentially uh, Psyche doing all of these, all these tasks. Like there's the one in the underworld that you talked about where she has to go and get um, a box of beauty. And all these things. There's certain points during the, um, during Psyche's quest that in the dream, 
seems like Orwell, t- Orwell takes a part in it. Like, or, um, like Psyche is supposed to gather some golden fleece from these savage rams who are out in the field. That's one and, of them in the original myth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And in the dream, Oriwell shows up and the rams all charge and attack her and knock her to the ground. And then Psyche is left free to easily pick some of the golden fleece off of these thorn bushes nearby. It's it's not so much a curse or a blessing, but I'm going to call it I'm going to call it the blessing of being able to essentially help Psyche carry her cross. Well said. Suppose. Yeah. Oruel always has this this anger in her heart against the gods and Unjit in particular. She's mad at this goddess for taking away the only thing that she ever had and the only thing that she ever loved. There's a line in the book, we'd rather you drank their blood than stole their hearts. We'd rather they were dead and ours than yours and immortal. So sort of in her darker moments, um, or you all kind of wishes that she could have Psyche preserved for her as the brave, beautiful little girl who was sacrificed to this beast to save the town, but instead she is this girl who was happier without Oriwell, and then Oriwell ruined it for her. Wow. And like, I wish that she was, I wish that she was dead instead of happy with someone else. Yeah. <laughs> you wow. know. Okay. Yeah. You know what? Um, I'll just interrupt briefly. Remember mm-hmm. when we went to the, um, the, the book discussion of this uh, back in October mm-hmm. of 2016, we were, ta- we were at the Wade Center at yeah. Wheaton College and they were discussing this book. And the, the person who was leading the discussion described Oriwell's uh, love for uh, Psyche as um, vampiric. Mm-hmm. Like she wants Oriwell, it's a possessive love it's a it's a love that you know kind of mm-hmm. uh you know vampiric it sucks the life out of people you know mm-hmm. um it was distorted it was selfish um he also described that kind of love as need need love as opposed yeah. to gift love yeah so so that was very distorted mm-hmm. uh point of view of, of Oriwal. like her whole her whole identity was caught up in the fact that like I am basically the mother figure to this beautiful young girl and now I'm nothing because she's gone yeah so she so she's doing Psyche's doing all the tasks while Oriwell is the is the fighting queen of uh, the kingdom of Gloom yep which which I would describe as as uh, as badass. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. She's awesome. I yeah. I love it so much. What what I love about Oriwal is that she had a lot of she had a lot of self loathing. Mm-hmm. She was actually awesome. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and I think I think Hannah, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't there something in in the book where? Oriwell's convinced that she's so ugly she can't be seen. That's why she veils her face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's not actually ugly, though. Is, is that true? She actually is, if oh. not beautiful, at least fine, you know? Isn't that, am, am I remem- misremembering that? It's her voice. Her voice is beautiful. 
So once her face is hmm. covered, um, and then year, enough years pass, like nobody remembers what she looks like or anything, and all they know is it's the veiled queen with the beautiful voice. So people would start to imagine that underneath the veil, she was actually very, very beautiful. Wow. Okay. But but she truly was not a sight to behold. She was, yeah, she wasn't really. No. Is <laughs> that even relevant? I mean, did, did, did we do we find that out, or is that? Or is that just something that we're, that we're, that's left ambiguous because of how just sort of abusive that, that, that uh, King was, you're saying, calling her, calling her yeah, names. And, I and think the Oriole kind of grew up with this, with really a rotten self-image. So here's part of the book that I'm going to read here. He did not understand a word of the hymn, nor the music either, but he asked, are the young women to be veiled or unveiled? Need you ask, said the king, with one of his great laughs, jerking his thumb in my direction. Do you think I want my queen frightened out of her senses? Veils, of course, and good thick veils, too. One of the other girls tittered, and I think that was the first time I clearly understood that I am ugly. Hmm. Oh, that's on, like, page 11. Okay, <laughs> yeah. okay. So so this is part of her, uh, this is part of Oriol's, um brokenness this is one of her wounds mm -hmm. is that she has been declared ugly by mm -hmm. her father so uh she's the fighting queen of uh Glom. yep then what the time of prosperity and everything um then she goes on a trip sort of around the surrounding countries just to sort of explore take a break because life is peaceful and she comes to this small shrine and it's too a it's to a goddess that she's never heard of and a man shows up at the shrine while she's there and she asks what goddess is this and he says oh this is a new god her a goddess her name is psyche and like take oh, it wow. takes her aback and she asks what and he tells her the story of psyche the sisters are portrayed a little bit more like they were in the myth that you were talking about yeah where they were they were jealous and they saw the, the, the palace and they wanted to, they wanted to ruin Psyche, not to save her and, and all that. So one of the things that uh, apparently prompted C.S. Lewis to write this book in the first place, mm -hmm. that he could not stand that part of the myth. Oh. Saw this beautiful palace, this sumptuous, mm -hmm. gorgeous palace that their sister had been spirited away to. They mm -hmm. saw it, and they knew it was real. Yeah, and they believed, but they were so jealous. Yeah, that they wanted to ruin Psyche's um, uh, happiness anyway. Yeah, I guess you could argue that they were concerned that it was that he, her husband really was a horrible beast. Mm -hmm. But given the surroundings and how happy Psyche was, yeah, they should have known that that was not true. Yeah, uh, they were just jealous, and they wanted to to ruin everything mm -hmm. and so apparently c.s lewis did not like that part of the myth at all he mm -hmm. wanted to rewrite it where there was um where the sister didn't see the palace yeah and was concerned for psyche's welfare like literally thought she had lost her mind and like you said was being tormented by you know some like you said some vagabond in in the woods or something mm -hmm. and, um and so c.s lewis found that much more palatable yeah of an idea and I'm curious, why? Why was it so 
Why did it bother him so much that the sisters <laughs> could see the palace and yet their jealousy prompted them to, to, to sow the doubt in Psyche's mind? I don't know. That might be the way around. Because there's all sorts of stuff like that. All sorts of stuff like that happens in, in Greek myths where people are jealous and they're constantly mm -hmm. trying to ruin each other's happiness because of their jealousy. Mm -hmm. So why this particular story and why did C.S. Lewis feel the need to retell it in the way, the way he did? I don't know. I feel like, I feel like I'd have to research that or something. Cause that's really interesting. Yeah. So that's, that's basically, that's basically the whole, the whole story. She sees the shrine to the goddess Psyche. She gets irritated because the guy at the shrine says, yes, the sisters saw the palace and everything. And she says, how could the gods not let me see the palace and then punish me for reacting the way that I did, you know? And yep. she has this dream where she goes before this tribunal of ghosts and she got to read her complaint. This is near the very end of the book. She is reading out her complaint. Mm -hmm. and, and then they interrupt her. Mm -hmm. and the, um, at last the judge spoke. Are you answered? He said. Yes, said I. The complaint was the answer. To have heard myself making it was to be answered. Lightly men talk of saying what they mean. Often, when he was teaching me to write in Greek, the fox would say, child, to say the very thing you really mean, the whole of it, nothing more or less or other than what you really mean, that's the whole art and joy of words. A glib saying, when the time comes to you at which you will be forced at last to utter the speech which has lain at the center of your soul for years, which you have all that time, idiot-like, been saying over and over, you'll not talk about joy of words. I saw well why the gods do not speak to us openly, nor let us answer. Till that word can be dug out of us, why should they hear the babble that we think we mean? How can they meet us face to face till we have faces? faces. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's, I was trying to find um, this line. Did it come from the book? Hmm. That question of why, why did Cupid hide his face? Mm -hmm. Why does a god hide his face? Um, it has to do with, yeah, that, that's such a beautiful way that, that, that Lewis put it. Mm -hmm. Why does God hide his face and allow us to live with this sort of same soup, this longing, right? Mm -hmm. Remember we talked yeah. about that longing rather yep. than seeing him face to face all the time. Because before we can face God, Mm -hmm. We have to have our true face, mm -hmm. not this veil, not this mask. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, which is which is what I've I've heard that what this story is about. That's the story of Oriwell is the mm. story of a person who is going around with a false face on a veil, mm -hmm. and she's trying to find her true face, which is her true self. Yeah, so that we can we can dive deeply into that because that is uh, you got it. Mm -hmm. That's what a lot of stories are about, isn't it? Yeah. Someone comes with uh, the beginning of the story. They've got their, they've got their wound. They've got their brokenness. They've got their false face, uh, their mask. And by the end of the story, hopefully they've, they've at least known what they need to do next to, to, to find their true face. Yeah. We can't really understand what, what the gods intend 
until we're honest with ourselves about what we are or who we are and who God is kind of. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Um, let's, uh, Let's stop this episode there, but uh, it would be good to continue, I think, because we've only, uh, we only scratched the surface here, I think. Yeah, we basically just did the summaries. Yeah, we did the summaries, and we got a little bit into the theme. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, let's talk more about themes next time. That would be awesome. Okay, great. All right, so everybody, we uh, thank you for joining us in this uh, part one, I guess, of our Till We Have Faces book discussion. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I don't see how you could possibly do justice to Till We Have Faces in only half an hour. Um, So let's, uh, so let's do it. Let's continue this. Um, We'll see you guys, uh, uh, all of you uh, listeners, next time. Until then, take care. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye now. Mm